Alexia, the last question I ask everybody because I love to know what saying when you hear the word intentional as it relates to you and your life and your businesses, what does it mean to you? To me, it means doing something with thought. I mean, I feel like I've been really intentional with how I've crafted my life. Like, you know, we live with my family now in, in, the, in a mountain town, <laughs> kind of middle of nowhere. You know, we wanted to be in a place like this and it took us a long time to get here. Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. Welcome back to another episode of the Intentional Growth Podcast. A couple updates before we roll into it. This show is on YouTube, so go check it out if you want to watch the interview instead of listen in. Uh, the second update is we have launched the Intentional Growth Financial Assessment, and the assessment is 23 questions, and you don't need your financials. You're not disclosing anything private. All you're doing is you're answering the questions based on how your financials are organized, and then you get a score on each of these four different pillars and an overall score about and comparing to what good looks like. And what good looks like is being able to project out the value of your business using all three financial statements. So that way you can project out your distributions, your taxes, your growth, and all the strategic initiatives that you have. You roll them all into your financials and you can see how what you're doing is growing a more valuable business or how your distributions and all the different things that you want to do impact your ability to get closer to your goals. So go check it out. It's in the show notes or on our website at arcona.io. Second update is we have an intentional growth virtual cohort coming up. We have spots for 10 entrepreneurs and business owners. It is 2000 bucks and the dates are May 4th, 11th, 18th, and the 25th. 2000 bucks. if you want to apply now, uh, grab your spot, go check it out. The uh, resources are in the show notes as well. And so back on to our guests. So we have Lexi Grant, who is on the show. She had two content companies that she grew and sold, and she struggled finding resources. She actually reached out because she had been listening to this show and was very excited. And she is so excited about this space and the lack of information. She's taking her journalist background and her uh, media background and content business background and now has launched They Got Acquired, which is also a podcast, as well as a bunch of resources to help entrepreneurs in the lower market understand how this stuff works. And she has a, some great experiences and stories talking about how the lifestyle businesses that she grew into something that was way more than a lifestyle business had a lot of value and how she wants to help other people understand that they have created websites or contents and or content companies or other online businesses that are valuable and have the ability to scale and grow and, and be sold if they approach it the right way. Fun conversation between someone that has just as much passion about helping educate entrepreneurs to grow more value, to have more choices. So without further ado, here is my interview with Alexis Grant. Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. Lexi, how are you? Good. Excited to chat with you. 
Yeah, I am too, because this is a little, I think probably interesting for both of us. You reached out, you were a listener, you'd mm -hmm. sold a couple of companies and then you actually got your own podcast that you launched or are launching. Yeah, we just launched remember. it. Just yeah. launched. And uh, it was like, okay, well, we got two people that kind of think they know each other, but this is the first time we are meeting. In, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> That's the best part so, about online work. <laughs> And I'm just going to take it right from the top. Like, so how did you stumble across our show and where in your journey of the companies that you own, were you at? And like, why were you like out looking for information? I think I found you through someone else's podcast. I'm sure I did. You were a guest on someone else's podcast. I can't remember whose, but, but I just liked okay. what you had to say. And I liked your personality and I thought, you know, what? I'll follow this guy back to his podcast. And then I subscribed to yours. So that's how I got in. And I think I started listening to it probably about a year ago when I had already sold my last company, okay. but I was like looking around the space to see what exists in the space. Cause as we're going to talk about, I'm building something in this space now too. So I just want to see like what was out there and what were people doing already. So let, why don't you just give the, the, the high level overview of some of your background and what you've done that led you to what you're doing today. Maybe kind of just give a little, so that whatever 30,000 mm -hmm. foot view you want to give, so we can then go back and unpack various parts of it. Yeah. So I'll start with where I am now briefly. I'm running a company called They Got Acquired. It's a content a media company, and we're covering acquisitions of online businesses between uh, where the sales size is between 100,000 and 50 million. So it's much smaller than what you know the big transactions you typically hear mm -hmm. about. And our goal is to support entrepreneurs who are going through that and, and trying to figure out how to do it themselves. And the reason why I'm doing that is partly because I am the target demographic. I went through this twice, and so I understand the pain points. And, you know, I don't consider myself an expert in M&A, although I'm, I am learning a lot, uh, but I am an expert in building media companies. So my goal with this is to, to build the company and surround myself with people who are experts in M&A and can help share that information. I am. So I, I could probably like be sitting here asking you a bunch of questions for my own business about what does it take to build a media company? <laughs> yeah. I, get, I got probably a couple of things to learn from you, but well, you know, your background, Lexi, I mean, you were in, you were journalist, you were a journalist, you went to school for that. So give mm -hmm. us a little bit of the background. How did you end up running your own business after being a, a journalist? Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, I kind of fell into it by accident which a lot of people do, I think, initially. Mm -hmm. And I started freelancing when I was looking for a job. I So I, le I was originally at the Houston Chronicle uh, for a few years in Houston as a reporter. And I left that job to do some traveling. And when I when I got back from traveling, I was living, living with my parents for a while while I wrote a book. And thinking about, like, what do I want to do next? Where do I want to work? Assuming I want to go back into journalism. <clears throat> and so while I was looking for that job, I started taking on clients as a freelancer. Um, at that, this was like, 2009, I was doing some social media freelancing and I ended up getting a, a, a day job at U.S. News and World Report. So I went there, but I kind of kept some of my clients on the side. And mm. I was only at that day job for a year before I started to realize, actually, the side thing has a lot more potential and I'm really <laughs> getting into it. And it's funny because I really, I was never interested in business growing up or I didn't take any business classes at school. I went to a liberal arts school. I always thought it was really boring, but I had <laughs> like a series of aha moments where I was like, wow, business is actually like figuring out how do you make money yourself without having to, you know, wait for someone else to give you a paycheck. And it's like really challenging and really fun, you know? So I ended up running, turning my freelance business into a small content marketing agency. We ran blogs for other businesses. Um, so again, this Super is in cool. 2011. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, a few years later in 2015, 
that was my first acquisition. That that content agency, we were we were acquired by one of our clients, which is a personal finance uh, media company called The Penny Hoarder. Okay. So it was an acquire. Yeah. So myself and a bunch of members of my team, we all went in house there and built out the comp- content operation at The Penny Hoarder. And that that was a bootstrap startup too. So much yeah, bigger you said than you I, were like what you said like what, how many employees like it was just you few at the was that were you kind of like the launching plat, uh, like platform for them or something yeah the, the the founder his name was Kyle Taylor he's a great guy he had already done or he had already gotten the brand off to a really solid start but he was looking to bring in someone to help with the content side so we could focus on the business side so I was the third employee and we we built up the content operation there um, we ended up building it to about 100 employees while I was there within less than three years. It's since shrunk a bit since then, but that was kind of what we were at, at our, at our height. Where, where were you like, when you took the plunge, Lexi, like, did you like, what was your, like, <laughs> like what was your gauge of like, gonna do it? Like gonna jump off. Was it like an income threshold or was it like, like an opportunity or that like the pipeline the sales pipeline you could see like what, what, what made you like make running my own business initially? I mean, yeah, yeah, from from the day job to actually running your content business. There was two things. One is I just realized I was more excited about it. I actually I launched an ebook and that was the thing that like pushed me over the edge because it did really well and and I just realized I'm like, "Oh, no one has to give me permission for this stuff. I can write something that's valuable and people are going to pay me for it." And it's just like on my own schedule and and I I just I found that to be super satisfying. I've always been like pretty independent and you know, I'm not very good at following directions from other people. So I thought it was cool <laughs> that I could, you know, do my own thing. But then also I did think about it from a money perspective. I mean, this is before I had a family, right, which is helpful. But what I saw was I had a few clients. It was still, you know, a smallish business. And I realized that the only way I was going to be able to in- increase that was by letting go of my day job because I was at like a breaking point where I couldn't do I couldn't do any more. So I had to mm-hmm. make that choice. And you had, I mean, you you ran the business for a relatively small amount of time before talking to Penny Hoarder. So like what what transpired in, that, in those conversations where you decided like, hey, I'm not going to do this by myself. I think it's better to hitch my wagon with someone else. Well, he was he was our client for about a year and a half before they acquired us. And, you know, it's funny because I hadn't ever thought that I would go back to being an employee. Because when you're acquired as an acquire, like I became an employee then. Even I had a lot of autonomy and growing, helping to grow the startup, but it still wasn't mine anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I was not the founder. And I just didn't, I hadn't seen myself doing that, going back to being an employee. But I just really liked his vision. And I was excited by the work we were doing together. Like I knew I liked him as a person, which was really helpful as somebody you're going to work really closely with. Um, mm-hmm. I felt like it was an opportunity to do something that was much bigger than what I was doing on my own. And it turned out to be a good choice. So when you get so first of all, for the listeners that mm-hmm. might not be familiar with the the term aqua hire, mm-hmm. and I don't know, were you familiar with that when when he started talking to you, or where did you learn? We like, didn't really oh, call this? it that, like until we started to have to put like a press release together. <laughs> um, <laughs> so how, how did you like maybe talk about what that word means, just for the listeners that might not be familiar with it, and then what made it appealing for him to to mm-hmm. acquire you guys? Yeah. So now that I understand more about Aquahires and I've seen a lot of other examples through they got acquired, I know that what we did is is pretty typical. So he brought myself and several members of my team in-house at the Penny Hoarder. And even though we had we had like a portfolio of clients for the agency, we let all those clients go. Our job was to then solely focus on growing the Penny Hoarder brand. And, and that's pretty typical with an Aquahire in that you might usually it's the team that someone wants to get and 
not necessarily like um, it might not even be the product, um, mm-hmm. but like certainly didn't care about the other clients. It's it's more about like acquiring the processes that we had put together. So what happened was since we've been running the content, we'd basically been running the content at that company anyways as an as an outside agency. Ah, uh, yeah. And so yep. Yep. what what you asked what was appealing, I think it was that you know we already had processes in place for creating the content, and we just needed to pour some gas on it. And, and so he wanted to do that mm-hmm. in house. So we we had. You know, the processes we we were using to run all the blogs that we ran. And then we also had a wider network of freelancers who contributed to a lot of the blogs. And because we were able to bring that with us, we really hit the ground running in terms of scaling quickly. So what what intrigued you about the conversation? Obviously, you're having conversation. You said, was it Tyler? Is that what you said his name was? Um, Kyle T- Taylor. Kyle Taylor, sorry. Two first names, right? Yeah. <laughs> easy, <course>. easy mistake. <laughs> but uh, with Kyle, like, you know, what was it that intrigued you to to entertain the conversations? Because, you know, you took the leap, you're grinding along. I mean, was there, like, what was it that were like, oh, this is, this is worth entertaining versus staying off on my own and reaping the upside on my, on my own for the own company that I, that I currently own? Well, I mean, the only reason I considered it was because I liked him as a person and I liked his vision. And I think people underestimate that when, even when they're selling mm-hmm. a company, if it's not a traditional aqua hire, it's like, I think especially, a, you know, if you're talking about a six or seven figure deal, the seller cares about who the buyer is a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times we do, you know, we want the site or whatever you're building to be in good hands. And I knew I was going to work alongside this person for, for years, which I did, you mm-hmm. know? So I think that was the first part. I was really excited about the opportunity. I We talked about like our vision for building the company and I was excited about where it was going. And also, of course, you know, it has to be financially appealing and, and it was. So was there like a, and we don't have to get into any numbers, but like, mm-hmm. was there an earnout, or was there, was there a little bit of cash up front? And, and the reason I'm asking that, because with mm-hmm. the, the aqua hires, I mean, there's typically, you know, more of an earnout or more of an employment contract or some sort of guarantee like that. But how, how mm-hmm. did you guys go about the discussions around what kind of structure you guys should have? Yeah, it was, well... I mean, I had to learn all this because I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, <laughs> I've been know. there, been there. Like, <laughs> what words are you talking about? I'll, you're supposed to give me a pile of money, right, and just be yeah. done with it. <laughs> yeah, I had some really good advisors within my family because you know my brother's an investment banker, my dad is a businessman, so they both really helped me. And then I also found, um, I found an outside counsel who helped me a bit with some of the valuation pieces. Um, but yeah, we had an earnout and and an equity piece. Um, it was pretty traditional, I think, in terms of like what an aqua hire typically can look like. The piece I sometimes talk about in terms of like lessons for others is, you know, I also got a salary since I was now an employee. And the cool part for me was seeing that, you know, just a few years before I had been in a journalism job, which, you know, they're not that well paying. Um, you, you don't, you don't like, go to like, you, you, I don't think you like think of like $400,000 salaries when you're thinking right. of journalists, right? <laughs> yeah. I think I was making like $60,000 a year or something. And, and you know, if, if I had stayed in that linear path, I may have gotten incremental um, increases over time, but because I had hopped off and like taken a risk to do my own thing, I was, you know, able to negotiate something that was much bigger than that, obviously. So I think that that was like a little bit of a validation point for me that, sometimes hopping off the regular track to do something that's like a little bit different and is a little risky can pay off. So where did the, the, your journey at Penny Hoarder go? Like, I mean, so you got to hundred employees, you decided to leave. Mm-hmm. What, what did you leave to? Was there mm-hmm. some sort of thing that, you know, attracted you? Uh-huh. Well, I left for a few reasons. Um, one is I had, when Kyle bought my company, we were living in DC 
and we we built a an, uh, an office in Florida. So eventually, I ended up moving down to Florida with my family. Mostly, it was just too much. I had two kids during the same this time period. I I, had, I was pregnant when he acquired my. I was gonna say, why didn't you yeah. tell that person? Because you mentioned <laughs> yeah. that on your website, and you and I were talking about that right before we hit record. <laughs> been, yeah, been kind of in the same circumstances. Yeah, it all happens at once, um, which I think is common for like because you you know you get to a certain point in your career. It's also when you things are ramping up, and then you also want to start a family before it's too late. Um, <laughs> so yeah, a few months after he purchased my company, I had a baby. So we were like really under a crunch in terms of getting things um, systemized so that they could run without me while I took maternity leave. And that was actually a perk too of like joining a bigger team was I, I was, I mean, I had set things up in my own company where I could do this too, but you know, it's, it's nice to have a bigger support system when you're going to take mm-hmm. the maternity leave. So anyways, a lot so, was happening at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, like you said, like, I mean, it's like, it's a little bit different when you're trying to integrate a company, trying to have a kid. I mean, that, that's that's a lot going on. But like, I can't imagine, I mean, you, you mentioned in your blog, just having the support, right? And I think that's where like, it's unique, just finding my own observations in some of your content where mm-hmm. like, people when they're selling, they don't really know the personalities or the team that they're getting into. And you were, you were very appreciative of mm-hmm. their I shared values. And I think that's something like, yeah, there's the numbers when you're selling, but there's also like, Hey, like these people jive with like what's important in life and, and work. And it seems like you found that. And I don't know if that's something that you continue to highlight. Cause I think it's something that a lot of people don't pay attention to necessarily. Yeah. That's really important to me personally. You know, before I joined the penny hoarder, my husband and I, we used to talk about like how we'd get to a point where we were both running our own businesses and at the time, when we got married, he was working at a corporate job, and he ended up leaving that to run his own business. So we kind of swapped places. Like, then I went to the penny order, he was running his own thing. So we, we both really care about, like, flexibility and autonomy and thought about a lot about the kind of life that we wanted to craft. So this was a little bit of a deviation from that, even though it was a great opportunity for me, and I'm so glad I did it. But, you know, we moved on to Florida, which was a different place than we had envisioned ourselves. And... Um, I was in a pretty demanding leadership role as we grew really quickly while we had young kids. So where, where did you end up like when going back to like, mm-hmm. was there something that you left to? Cause was it 2019 mm-hmm. or something? Like yes. Yeah, so said? I left in 2019. Um, so th- I was getting, what I was going to say was the geographic piece was one piece for us. We were in Florida and we knew we wanted to move to a mountain town. Like that was always our dream. And oh, awesome. I, yeah, I think like I started to realize that, I really enjoy the beginning phases of a business, and I think that's where I'm strong. And as the company aged, it didn't feel like I was using my strengths as much anymore. Mm. And there was more other people who had more experience managing people, for example, you know. So I kind of wanted to get back to running my own well, business again. What's I've heard that, and, and I can relate to various parts of that, that comment mm-hmm. too, or different different ways of thinking about that. What is it that you think of that, you like more in the growing in startup phase than in the, the mature phase? Is there like certain tasks or activities where you're living more in the flow in the mm-hmm. earlier stages? I mean, I think like a lot of people, I don't love the, all the drama that can come with people management as you get bigger. <laughs> and like, even if you have a great team, it's going to happen yeah. the bigger you get, you know? And so I'm just, I, I like the smallness. Like I, my dream is never to like build a huge company. I want to have a small group of people that I work with. And I mean, you can make a lot of money having small, a small group of people. <laughs> That's my preference. So there's that piece. And then also just honestly, like 
I was pretty burnt out because I was really tired. Like I had two kids under two when we moved to Florida. I wasn't sleeping much and I felt like I was under a lot of pressure. And some of that was self-inflicted pressure Mm -hmm. because, you know, I was at a company with a great culture. I'd helped create the culture. I had a lot more autonomy than people have in many traditional companies and more flexibility, but I still felt like I wasn't taking care of myself. Like I wasn't prioritizing my health. Like I was used to doing and I just, it was, Mm -hmm. it was a lot. (laughs) So I I just wanted a break. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Uh, just a small, small comment, Alexi. I, I don't know if you've ever so Daniel Marcos, who uh, the CEO of the Growth Institute, that's in the mm-hmm. partnership with like scaling up and Vern Harder. She's been uh-huh. on the show, and he was ta- him and I was talking about, um, and it, one of his. Uh, it's one of his frameworks on how to think about it. I'd never heard of this, but he calls it the drama chasm or something like that, where there's like a certain amount of employees where like, he's like, if you have like under 20 employees, around 20, some employees, the drama to money-making balance is perfect. You go from 20 <laughs> to 80 and it's just a shit storm of yeah. drama, misery and losing money. And then again, once you're over like 80 employees, then you can make money and you're, you have less drama. I'm like, and like, I, I, like when I heard that, Lexi, I was like, oh my God, the amount of people that are stuck right in the middle of that like, <laughs> pile, spot, that, yeah. that crappy part of the sandwich, you yeah. know, like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But, I like yeah, the agility I, I can, too yeah, that, so, that comes with a small team. I like the agility that you get with a small team. Like that's fun. I'm not a very patient person. I like to move fast and you can, the smaller you are, the faster you can move. I remember when I was talking to Neil, the CFO, the, the guy, uh, the guy that bought us and he's like, why do you want to leave? I'm like. Neil, I used to have an idea on the way to work, <laughs> implement it by noon, and now I have to like fill out this paperwork. I'm like, this is this is not not for me. But <laughs> anyways, I digress. So like, what? So what is it that you re, that you left to? So mm-hmm. in order to decrease your stress and mm-hmm. like the the risk and whatever, I, I starting another business doesn't always necessarily sound like that could be it. So what is it that that sparked your attention that could sa- solve what you're looking for? Oh, I didn't really know when I left. I knew I wanted to start another business. Um, I also had a side like project called The Right Life, W-R-I-T-E. It was a site for writers. And I had started that back when I was running the content agency. And since we were since we had all these processes and freelancers that were helping us create content for other companies' blogs, we decided to create our own asset and just apply it to our own site. Hmm. So, you know, I I didn't really even feel you know, we, we bootstrapped that, but I didn't really even feel it too hard because they just put some of the proceeds from the agency right back into paying for that. And so while I was at the Penny Hoarder, I had just kind of, I had outsourced it to, I had an editor running the site, but there, I didn't have any time to work on it during that those years. Mm-hmm. But she was still growing it steadily. And we had, we had adjusted it so that I didn't have high expectations for the growth, but it basically was it was making enough money to pay for itself. And that was where I wanted to keep it. And there were, there was a few times where I thought about getting rid of it just because I, even though I wasn't working on it much, I felt like it was taking up space in my brain. Like it was still sitting mm-hmm. there. I just didn't really have the bandwidth, <clears throat> but I was really happy. I'd held onto it because when I left, I had that to kind of tinker with, um, to keep me busy while I figured out what my next step would be. And I thought really hard about, did I want, cause it had grown. It was, it was, it's a pretty big writing site. It had grown to about half a million pages a month. That's and has one of the yeah, really awesome. good reputation in the space. So I had, you know, I did this business plan. I'm thinking about how do I, do I want to build this bigger? How do I want to monetize better? But then I just realized I'm like, I just didn't want to do it. I felt like it was, you know, who I was 10 years ago. And I just wasn't that interested in it. I wanted a new challenge. So I ended up tinkering with the SEO and playing and, and applying a lot of the things that I'd learned in the last five years to that site. And that was really fun. Like I got back in the weeds again, you know, I had gone from 
people management and strategy and really thinking high level to getting in the weeds with the site. And I, I found that mm-hmm. to be really satisfying. And during that time also, we, we moved twice. Then we had the pandemic and, you know, obviously I had, I had a two and a four year old of the pandemic. You're not really getting much work done. So it was a good time for me not to have too much going on. Uh, like what I, that was, that felt like. That was enough, enough right? Yes. Like what you just, <laughs> what, you, yes. what you just listed was enough going on. That was, that's not a lot going on. That's a lot going on, but just not in business, right? <laughs> yeah. I really wanted to whittle down my plate too, so that when I pick something new to focus on, I could put my whole focus into it. So I ended up selling that site about a year ago at the beginning of 2021. So the, uh, in, I want to before I before I go back to kind of how that led you to where you're doing now with that what they got acquired and I want to talk about a lot of your lessons learned because you again being such a good content and writer like which I'm a talker right like I don't have the gift of writing like you do talking is a gift <laughs> and, too though I don't have the talking <laughs> gift so I'm jealous of people who have that. <laughs> oh, sometimes I need a bigger filter, and my wife will <laughs> attest to that. Um, but the uh, what did you what what process or what tools or resources were helpful for you? Lexi, when you were realizing that you didn't want to continue leaning in to, is it the right, the right, mm-hmm. the right life? Because yep. I think a lot of times, especially with all, so many people on this show or the people that I'm talking with, it's like mm-hmm. finding out what they like is, I am crazy shocked how hard that is. And so mm-hmm. people will just do things until it's like a breaking point, whether it's emotion or stress or finance. Mm-hmm. And so like, what, what did you go through to go, Hey, this is not actually what I want to do. I mean, I think figuring out that I didn't want to do it was, for me, the easy part. The hard part was figuring out what I wanted to do instead. Mm. (laughs) Like, what else? What would be next, you know? And I definitely felt, like, a little bit lost trying to figure that out because I had had really clear steps and things had just fallen into place in terms of what I would do next for years, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So just having, being able to say, okay, I'm going to do something totally different. What do I want it to look like? So the way I tried to approach that was I tried to just dabble in things like I used to, used to do like back in the day, you know, before I had kids, <laughs> like just pick some things and try them and, and, and see what, see which one, if any of them stuck I, like without putting too much pressure on it. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I did some, some consulting for, um, a few different brands that needed to hire writing teams. Cause that's basically, that was like the core of what I had done in all of my previous roles. So as a consultant, I helped them hire and bring in bring in-house like the writing teams. So I got to try that and decided, you know, it's, so it was okay, but it wasn't what I wanted to do forever. Um, and just, yeah, I, I built a couple of apps. I just, just played around and like tried to decide like, does anything light a fire on me, under me? So that leads us to how, how did you dis- how did you land on what you're doing now? Well, I, I think I, I knew I wanted to do something in the media space. Cause that's like my strength. And I, I want to, I, wanted to at least carry over some of the lessons that I've learned previously, but I also wanted there to be a new challenge. So I was really thinking hard about like, how can I merge those two things? Mm-hmm. And the reason I see they got acquired as a new challenge is, well, there's two reasons. One is it's in a space where I feel like I have a lot to learn. Uh, like, like I said earlier, I, I've gone through this a couple of times. I know the pain points, but I am not an expert in m and and I, I feel like there's a lot to learn there. Um, and then second, the way we're monetizing is a bit new for me. So while you see on the front, of the website or a content or a media site, you see stories of entrepreneurs who have sold their businesses, plus like resources for entrepreneurs who are doing it for the first time. Uh, behind that, we're building a database of the acquisitions. 
which really doesn't exist for acquisitions of this size. And it's something that I wish I could have accessed when I was selling. And that's how we're going to monetize. And, and that's new for me. I mean, there's so many different ways to monetize media companies. So I think if that doesn't work out, there's always a plan B. But um, mm -hmm. I just got excited about doing something a little different that would stretch me. Super cool. Um, that just reminded me. And Lexi, I don't remember what the hell the name of the book was, but when I actually, it was a trip to Florida in 2015 that actually led to the creation of this podcast and the business that I have now. And it was this book where they said, take your experience. It was this, it was a yellow book by this woman that was fantastic. And I don't remember what the heck it was. I'll have to go back and put it in the show notes for the mm -hmm. listeners. I will find it before then. But like, it's like this, take, take what your experience was and take what your passion is and you kind of mm -hmm. lean them together. And it, like, literally, that's how I ended up with buying and selling companies, too. It was like, that's oh, cool. like I went through all this. I have no idea what to do with it. Mm -hmm. But like, I think what's also very, very intriguing about your skill sets is there is a book I read called Killing Marketing. And they mm -hmm. were talking about how all companies like, honestly, I can't think of one industry or business that this doesn't relate to is like mm -hmm. where if you're media, you're essentially every company needs to create a media company. Mm -hmm. And then they need to monetize it and have such good me media or content that people would pay for it. And then they like, it's like they give the example of like Legos has movies now and they sell mm -hmm. plastic blocks. Mm -hmm. And I just find it so intriguing how people like you lean into the digital world and are able to like provide good. It's not just a random blog, right? There's a lot of crappy content out there. And I look mm -hmm. at like how your skill sets are. I think, what are you, what are you seeing as far as like when you were like out looking for this kind of content that led you to say, Hey, there is some white space here. I mean, were you, what was your observations when you were looking out there? Well, I felt like there weren't a lot of examples of entrepreneurs who looked like me or like valued the same things that I did when I was selling. And the truth is there's tons of us, but a lot of the traditional media outlets, you know, they cover the huge acquisitions. They're not covering like the bootstrappers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we cover more than we do cover some people who have raised uh, minimal funding on um, they got acquired. But a lot of our stories are bootstrappers. I mean, even the penny order and it, the penny order sold in 2020 for one hundred million dollars. It was a totally bootstrapped company. Zero press, like nothing. And it's because, you know, there, I think it's partly at least because there's when there's not it's not VC back. There's not a lot of people who are gunning to say, hey, tell the world that I made a good choice here. <laughs> So and, and there's other reasons that play it? too, but I just felt like there wasn't a lot of, there weren't examples for me to look at that felt like they read. And a part of that too is like being a parent, you know, and thinking hard about like how much <laughs> am I working? I'm someone who like doesn't want to work myself into the ground anymore. You know, who, where are those people? I want to, I want to know them. <laughs> and so like, yeah, I was going to say, tell me a little bit more about like when you say there's not a lot of um, people speaking to people like us, like how mm -hmm. would you characterize your audience or the people you're trying to help and, and why? Mm-hmm. So I think of our audience as twofold, um, very similar to yours. I mean, it's it's founders and people who want to build businesses and eventually, maybe eventually sell them, you know. And, you know, I think one downside to what I'm building is like selling isn't the only measure of success. You, if you're running a profitable business, that's amazing. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's worth celebrating, too. But, you know, people who are building businesses in a little bit of a different way than what Silicon Valley tells us is normal. Like you don't have to raise money. You don't have to work 80 hours a week. You know, I think there's a lot of different ways to think about it. And those alternatives aren't really glamorized. I, I want to glamorize them. I know. Isn't it crazy? Like I've had quite a few people on that have uh, gone their alternative route than the VC. And like, I, like I've had a few people on just to kind of give people the flavor, like what is going on out there. But like, mm -hmm. it's so like, 
it's so out of left field. Like, oh, these all these companies are burning cash for the foreseeable future, no intention of being profitable. And like <laughs> that somehow that became the model that we're all like, I don't know. I need income to pay my bills and pay mm-hmm. my salary and pay my vendors. And like there's this whole like world of like reality that I think we all live into. And uh so like what other resources were you looking at? And it, well, and not necessarily like you can talk about some of those resources, but I want to mm-hmm. talk about like were there things that you were like that they led you to create this Lexi where like, mm-hmm. you know, you felt like you weren't treated fair or you just, because there was sheer amount of stuff that you knew and you were, the gap was growing of how much you realized, like what, what was mm-hmm. like the gravitational pull? Cause I've got my list of like, my God, I knew immediately that we had done a lot of stuff wrong <laughs> versus mm-hmm. like, you know, I didn't, I don't know if there's anything like that, that are underneath. Cause it sounds I like mean, a couple of them went pretty well. It doesn't, I didn't never thought I wasn't treated fairly, but I didn't really know where to look for, like professionals that would help with this size of a sale. So, you know, it can be hard to find professionals who support, will support a six or seven figure sale just because if you don't know where to look. And like when you've been building a business, you've had your head down in that industry, building your business. And then suddenly you have an opportunity to to sell, which is what happens to a lot of entrepreneurs. Like you don't know where to start. You know, it's like a whole new thing you have to learn. And where do you go to find those people? And, you know, it took me some looking around to find a lawyer who was the right fit for my deal and like an advisor that I, that I hired for a couple of just calls to, to pick his brain about like how I was going to run a bidding process, stuff like that, you know? And, and now that I'm in this space, I see that there are resources around and I didn't know about them, but I also think that a lot of them, most of the content in this space, this, this is a thing that I just, I didn't come into knowing, but I think it's a good thing for us. A lot of the content in the space, it's coming from someone who has skin in the game. It's coming from, you know, a brokerage firm or, uh, you know, M&A advisors or whatever. And like, first of all, again, those people have skin in the game. So they're going to tell you to do something a certain way, which may or may not be the best way Mm -hmm. for you, even though I think a lot of them are really good intentioned. And then also like the content, just not that well done. Like it's <laughs> quite frankly, like it's, I think we can do better. Like you can make oh, it interesting. It. You, you can make it um, written in, a, in an informal voice um, and use anecdotes and examples. <laughs> so I think that like we can just do a better job. And generally I'm saying like this space is underserved content wise. And I didn't realize quite how big of that gap there uh-huh. is until I got into it. And, and I, amen to everything you said. Like <laughs> I, remember when, I remember when we were going about this, I was like, Okay. So like when I was out researching stuff, I'm like, all I could find was like 800 word blogs on CPA sites or like attorney sites that's Mm -hmm. written by some advisor that's never ran a business that's got 17 acronyms that's wearing a suit that's 65 years old. (laughs) No, nothing wrong with anybody that's 65, but it's like, I want to read something and consume it. And that means literally nothing to me. Like, mm-hmm. it, like it's so irrelevant. It was just like, oh, just call, you know, call a CPA. And so like, what do you, like, when you think about like the content, what are the white space? Like, what do, what do you see as the different types? Because I think this is very, very important for the listeners here. Because obviously mm-hmm. people are listening into this, mm-hmm. but other than the, our training and this podcast, you know, there's other resources out there. So like, mm-hmm. where do you, where are you seeing things that are doing really well or people that are, what they should be avoiding? Oh, that's a hard question. I think if, I don't really think about that. I think more of like, what should we do? <laughs> like, what what can we do that's that's really providing value to people? Uh, and like, I mean, to some extent, I look at the competition, but I don't really care what they're doing. I feel like it's a waste of my time because that doesn't matter. Like, what matters is who we're reaching and 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 what we can give them. But I, I think of our content in a couple of buckets. One is 
resource content. So like we did a post about mistakes you don't want to make in your LOI. And like, that's the kind of thing that probably exists out there somewhere, but I think we did a really good job of writing it in a way that I would want to be spoken to if I was reading it. You know, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. um, it's for someone who has an online business too, which is, that's like a piece that's a little bit different about what we we do. And like, sometimes as an online business owner, when I read traditional business stuff, I feel like it doesn't always resonate. So I wanted Mm -hmm. to put, Mm -hmm. put that angle on it. Um, and then, yeah, just examples of, of people who have sold their businesses. And a piece of this too, for me is like, personally, I feel like there aren't that many female voices, not only in business generally, but in this space. And, you know, I don't want to, mm-hmm. I'm not creating something just for women. I want it to be for any founder who wants it, but I think we all benefit from having more diversity in, in, in the perspective. Well, I mean, cause it depends on like, in I, I, one of the big things that I, hopefully the different spin that we've been taking to this too, is like, I remember sitting Lexi in like these panels and all this stuff after we'd sold and like, you know, all the panels would be like, maximize purchase price, maximize purchase price. I'm like, well, what if that's not what you want to do? And then like, you look at asking, no one had an answer for me. I'm like, so you have all these suits up on this panel that are saying maximize purchase price. I'm like, you get paid for more, you get paid for more, you get paid for more. I'm like, what if I don't want to sell? Like, mm-hmm, And it's just like this fascinating situation. I want to go into this article that you wrote about, um, about uh, it's not about the multiples in the valuation formula. I don't remember what you titled it. Mm-hmm. I want to hear the the why you wrote that, and maybe you can kind of summarize it for the for the listeners because I think there's an interesting concept that we can unpack here. Mm-hmm. In, in, I think there's a different ways to take it too with online versus traditional, but just mm-hmm. maybe kind of over, give an overview of the the piece for the yeah. listeners. So, I mean, you know, since I've gotten interested in this space, I've followed some of the multiples that you hear different businesses can sell for, and I think it's a great, like a guiding star, you know, oh, if, if I have a content business, it's likely to sell for whatever it is, a four to six times multiple, or I, I don't even know if that's accurate, but there's different numbers floating mm-hmm, around that, mm-hmm. that give you an idea of what you might be able to sell for. I found like in my experience of selling two different businesses that that was totally irrelevant. <laughs> and I mean, I think, I think this applies more to smaller sales, like six to seven figure sales. But what I found is that the strategic value is way more relevant for both the seller and a buyer. And if, if I had mm-hmm. like done a traditional purely revenue based multiple valuation on my business, I would have drastically undersold myself because the truth is it, my point is like, it doesn't really matter what the formula tells you. What matters is what you're willing to sell the business for and what the other person is willing to pay for it and whether you can find a common mm-hmm. ground. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just too much discussion of like these formulas that like you think people are going to fit into. And like, maybe that's more applicable for a SaaS model, um, especially like the smaller ones. I don't know. But I, I just, I feel like there's a lot of emphasis on that when what we should be emphasizing is like, what is this worth to someone? Like, what could they do with it that is is going to make one plus one equal four instead of one plus one equal two? Mm-hmm. There's a there's a gentleman I had on my show called uh, uh, his name is Ted. He wrote Branding for Buyout. You mm-hmm. would totally dig that book. Ooh. And it's his whole deal. He actually owned a, a marketing. Yeah, yeah. Like, Ted's awesome. I'm I'm in the process of ch- chatting with him because he wants to completely disrupt the uh-huh. industry on how people sell to third parties. Like, mm-hmm. see, and his whole deal is like so. 
an entrepreneur who has all their blood, sweat, and tears. And actually, when I read his book, he used the word intention three times in the first 20 minutes of the book. I'm like, dude, I'm going to totally jive with you. And he, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he said that, like, you know, you build this whole thing up for, you know, whatever, however long your, you, your baby you created for maybe a decade or, you know, one year to decades. Mm-hmm. And he goes, then you hand the whole story over to an accountant and an investment banker. And he goes, they can't tell a story where shit. And he's, mm-hmm. he owns a creative agency and he talks about how it's a combination of one, finding the strategic nature of why someone wants to buy your business and what mm-hmm. they would do with it. And then mm-hmm. telling the story and the branding accordingly. And then yes. you layer in all the investment banking and the, and, the, and the tax and all that kind of stuff. Very fascinating. And it lines up with what you said. And I, 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 I wanted to introduce this concept to you to hear what you th- think about this. And then we can kind of talk about like the different size companies, but because uh-huh. you're, you're right, Lexi. And as far as like when you're selling to a third party, what this is all from my experience, right? And we've mm-hmm. put some word, words to this, so it's not the absolute whatsoever, but we call that transaction or strategic value, right? Like we're like, for example, when we sold, the business was, was worth to the buyer a certain amount of money. So technically they paid a premium on a multiple of EBITDA, but the same thing as you, they got it. I mean, they took a lot of the infrastructure out, a lot of the redundancies and the employees, and then they were able to cross sell a bunch of stuff, you know, afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so they, it meant more to them than a the couple of the other offers that we had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there was like this variation, but what we call that transaction, because I, I mean, I literally simplified is like the seller, and then the buyer come together and then there's the purpose of the deal, which is just wrapped around all the human emotion and business strategies. Mm-hmm. And you can either pay a premium like we're talking about or the opposite, which we see a lot is families will discount to gift it to their kids. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And but like, yeah. so here's what I wanted to I wanted to introduce and hear what your thoughts are is, you know, because I, I hear so many times is that your business isn't worth what someone until someone's willing to pay for it. And we won't mm-hmm. know until since you put it on the market. But the average, like the the typical business with a cash flow that is sustainable, predictable, and transferable, mm-hmm. that multiple comes from a risk of the cash flow. Mm-hmm. Which what we didn't do, Lexi, that I I want others to do is if you build sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow mm-hmm. while you're building your business, you can always fall back on the intrinsic, or another word is saying financial value. Like mm-hmm. so I mean, both. not to get too tech. Mm-hmm. So you have both, mm-hmm. right? And like best of both because what happened? <laughs> yeah, because like what happened to us is we woke up and we're like, hey, we want out, and it's like shit. Mm-hmm. We need to sell it to someone that has synergies, which sacrificed a lot of the personal things that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so like it's kind of like this both thing where like you're investing to de-risk the cash flow and grow the company, because then you could do an ESOP, a, a management buyout, you mm-hmm. could do an SBA loan, you can do all of those mechanisms that are based on the financial value of the risk of the cash flow. But if you wanted to maximize purchase price, you could find those strategic reasons like you talked about. Mm-hmm. And I think this overall concept definitely applies, like you said, more to like the, the on the lower end of the market. But I'm just kind of mm-hmm. curious to like if you've heard of anything like that or like what your reactions are to that kind of concept. Yeah, I, for sure. I mean, I think like these best of both worlds, if you can do both, that's amazing. And, and I, I don't think like, you know. The, the post that I wrote about this necessarily applies to every business, but just in my experience, like a takeaway that I had was like, you know, think about I th- well, how, what is the other person going to, how is the other person going to use this? <laughs> That's well, all I that think matters. I think you're spot mm-hmm. I, and I think you're absolutely spot on with the blog, with the post. Like, I, like if you're going to like to, to, with that context, if you're going to be selling it to a third party, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're so right. And this is where like, it's so hard. We're like, People are going, well, what's it worth? I'm like, well, how many buyers do you have lined up? 
Mm-hmm. Right? Like how like what are they gonna and, do and with it? Branding and branding so, is so key to this too. So that the thing that you said there, I think that like really ties in because I think of that too for not for my first sale, but for my second. Branding was definitely a big piece. It's a um it's almost like an intangible piece, but it's really valuable. Mm-hmm. Well, and that helps tell the story. And I'm curious, like going back to your both your sales, mm-hmm. how did you figure out what they wanted to do with the business that yielded that premium where they were willing to collaborate and share with you? Because a lot of times, you know, buyers are going to hold that close to their vest until until you find until afterwards, you're like, oh my God, you would have paid way more if I would have known this. Yeah. I mean, was there any of that involved? I mean, I just understood the biz- other businesses. Um, like in, the se- in my second sale, I had you know, offers over the years from different competitors. And I, I understood the value that they, like, I knew they were coming to me because they saw us in search and we were beating them in search, you know, and they wanted that. So I I think like seeing what the value was to them and understanding how their business worked and how much, you know, vaguely understanding, like how much did they have to, uh, what was each person worth to them? Like, what were they going to make off of each person that came to them? So even just like our email list, you know, we had a huge email Mm -hmm. list if they send one email to that list and they sell their product, <laughs> how much money are they going to make? You know? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and so that's a, let's, I'm curious on for the, there, we've got a handful of online companies that, you know, online entrepreneurs that listen in, I think a pretty wide spectrum, you know, by the way, whatever your next venture is, we should figure out how to get more data behind podcast listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> Seriously. But um, like, what is it like, what are some of the value drivers that are interesting for content and online businesses? Because mm-hmm. I think this is interesting for two reasons. One is for people that have those kind of businesses, what are the, th- the things that they should be focusing on? But also from other traditional businesses that I think should be in the mm-hmm. market to buy content companies Yep. and how they could va- how they could reap the value after the acquisition. So what, what are some of the things that you're focusing on that the, and these buyers were looking at? Yeah, I mean- email list is huge because that's your owned audience that's what they call it is like you own that audience whereas like you know you can have whatever you want on social media you can have a facebook page you can have this or that but you're you don't own that so if you have been able to migrate people from those places onto your email list then and you could hand that email list to someone else they can market to them directly that's huge i mean i think that's the biggest value for any uh, well i won't say any online businesses but a lot of online businesses especially the ones that i'm running like i have no intention of selling they got acquired but you know that that's what we're still focusing on is growing that email list because it's the most valuable thing that we can own so that's a big are they piece. doing due diligence um it's been a while since i was involved in a, a, an <laughs> online sale but uh are they doing due diligence on like the engagements of that because like because like i could say hey i've got a list of fifty thousand people yeah but like if it's a bot list that I sent an email to once, I mean, how are they, how are they judging the interaction? Well, you could just look in the ESP and the email service provider and see what the click-through rates have been, what the open rates have been. You'd, you'd have that historical data. I mean, and you could even just, I, I think, well, I'm trying to think of how I did it, but I can't think about, remember how we did this, but what I would, to to make it easiest, I, I would just hand them that ESP and say, Hey, you know, we send, we send emails from ConvertKit. We're just going to give you our ConvertKit account. And mm-hmm. then you can do whatever you want with the emails in there because they're all tagged and stuff. You're not really, it, I think that's more valuable to someone than giving them just like a list because mm-hmm. they can, they're going to want to use the data that you've collected over time to figure out how to engage, engage those people. Anything. So other than email lists, I mean, I know obviously you were, you were, you, I mean, I, 
what's it the the right life that you're having about a half mm-hmm. a million people coming to i mean so it, other things that again content business online business should be focused yeah. on even because i think that those are intrinsic that they have intrinsic value mm-hmm. and that's where it, kind of what i was getting at yeah well we talked about branding a little so that's one and like reputation but then also traffic source so like where's your traffic coming from certain traffic sources are better than others and and not everyone prefers the same traffic sources. So like personally, I like search traffic. I think it's more reliable than social traffic or like, you know, buying paid traffic. Why and, is and that for the what? listeners? Why is that? I'm curious. Why behind, uh, why is because, it, what's the thought behind your opinion? Yeah. Because, well, first of all, usually search traffic is worth more than, than, uh, than like social traffic or any paid traffic because the intent is there. So like someone's looking for something specifically and they land on your website. So they're much more likely to convert into doing whatever you want them to do than someone who like saw an ad or like happened to click on something they saw on social media. Like they came to your site purposely, even if they didn't, they didn't know about you before they clicked on you in Google. Like they, they wanted to do something. So it tends to convert much higher. I like it because it's around over time. So like you could put I mean, it's still people think of Google traffic as free traffic. It's not free because you still have to pay to create all the content. <laughs> and it's really yeah, expensive it's to do that. It's definitely not free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and no it takes kidding. a lot of time. But it, like if you compare that to like buying a Facebook ad, you know, you buy that ad once and you have to then hopefully get someone to your site, hopefully get them on their email list if you want to keep them. Whereas like if you have uh, search traffic, not only do you have it over time, but if you do it right, it builds over time. It actually increases over time. So there's tons of value that you get back. Like it's expensive to create and it's time consuming and you have to be really patient, but you get a much better payoff over time if you're willing to put the work in. That's so fascinating. And like, what kind of spend are you seeing normal company, like various companies, there's the content businesses and then there's, I mean, we could all argue that we're all kind of in the content business, but like what should Mm -hmm. someone be spending in creating content if they're in the game of creating content? It totally depends on what you're doing and and how much you're doing. I mean, for most content businesses, creating the content is the biggest expense because people cost money. Like right now for, I can talk to you about, they got acquired if you want. We have writers, editors, you know, researchers and a podcast producer. And all of those things cost money. And, and and like, I like to do content really well too. I mean, there's lots of people who will write something and never, it's not edited and, and the content still can be decent, but I want it to go through an editor. And like, we're what we're doing too is a lot of, it's, it's journalism really in a way, like it needs to be fact-checked. Mm-hmm. So it's important. It's <laughs> you important are now one layer. of the one, one, one person in the world that does some fact-checking <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Anyways, it's expensive. And I, that's, I think one huge uh, challenge for anyone in a content business. It's really expensive. So what do you want long-term with they got acquired? Like how, when you think about your mission, your, you said you have no intent of selling it. Someone's going to knock on I mean, your door. Right at this like, moment, I have a, maybe <laughs> yeah. down the line I'll sell it, but like at this moment, I'm not building it for that reason, but right. I'm building it for two reasons. One is for me personally, like I want to have something that I enjoy working on. That's fun. That's like profitable for me and my family that, you know, gives me meaningful work, you know? And, and I think a lot of people glaze over that when they talk about building something, they just talk Mm -hmm. about like the value to others. But the truth is like, I'm passionate about building something. Like, I don't think you have to be passionate about the specific, 
how do I say this? I think a lot of entrepreneurs are passionate about building something meaningful. It doesn't have to be they love the topic that they're working on. Like, mm-hmm. th- I think I could, I could be happy building lots of different sites, I think. Like, it's not like this is like yeah. my soulmate site, but I like the process of doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. But then secondly, I do want to build something that's like outwardly meaningful for other people that's going to help other people achieve what they want to achieve and make a difference for someone. And we, we've already seen that. Like, we've had, I've had a conversations with a few people who have just turned to me because of what we're building and said, Hey, I had this business. I was going to let it die. You know, do you think it could be something I could sell? I had a great example of, of a woman who just sold a site for $180,000 and she's, she was going to let it die. She didn't realize she's like that she could even sell it, you know, because Jeez. as an entrepreneur, you sometimes you just yeah. don't, you're focusing on the business. You're not focusing on, you don't know this other part of the journey necessarily. So I think the more people we can help like that, you know, give them an exit when they didn't even know it was possible. That to me feels good. Oh, that is awesome. Lexi, this has been so fun. And I'm so happy that we we got two people that have <laughs> been apparently bumping into various people in the in the space and same seems to be like a similar mission. Where, where do people find you and they that again, they got acquired and all the content we're talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Alexis Grant. And yeah, they got acquired, dude. They got acquired. They got acquired.com slash newsletter. And we have a podcast too. So they got acquired.com slash podcast or just like look for they got acquired in your podcast player. And then Alexia, the last question I ask everybody, because I love to know what it's saying. When you hear the word intentional, as it relates to you and your life and your businesses, what does it mean to you? To me, it means doing something with thought. I mean, I feel like I've been really intentional with how I've crafted my life. Like, you know, we live with my family now in, in, the, in a mountain town, kind of middle of nowhere. You know, we wanted to be in a place like this and it took us a long time to get here. So that every day I'm appreciative for that. I think like when you're intentional about something, it just brings more gratitude in because you you know what it could have been, right? If you if you didn't focus on making it intentional. Um, another interesting thing here is like I always, my husband and I often talk about I- intentional growth. Like what does that mean for our businesses? Because, you know, like years ago, I might have focused on website traffic as as a metric that mattered to me. And it did it did matter in my sale. So it was meaningful in that way. But right now, like, it's kind of a vanity metric. I don't really care how many people come to the site. All I care is how many people get on the email list. So I think, like, being really choosy about what's the KPI that matters um, and is actually going to move your business forward. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the one that everyone else is talking about. Ah, that is awesome. Lexi, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lexi. I had a blast. I just love it when people have just as much passion about this topic as I do. And if there's one takeaway I would have is that making a decision of whether you want to grow a valuable asset that is going to be sellable at some point, or if you're going to be creating a lifestyle business that you want to optimize for your lifestyle and your topics and your passions and cash flow. There's no wrong choice. All you're doing is you're making a decision that's going to lend you insight on how you, how fast you want to scale and how you want to invest in the company, how you're going to fund it and the strategies you're going to deploy. But the first thing you need to do is figure out what you want and why and how you're going to be charting that path towards a valuation that you want to, that, to have the choices that you want. And I would check out uh, theygotacquired.com. Lexi's got a lot of great content and I really enjoyed having her on the show. If you wanted to understand more about where you're at, Go check out the Intentional Growth Training. Like I said at the beginning, we've got a cohort coming up with uh, 10 spots available. If you want to apply now, you can go to arcona.io. It's 2000 bucks. 
There are four calls and on there on May 4th, 11th, 18th and 25th. And if you wanted to join uh, 10 other entrepreneurs, we're going to be launching that uh, pretty soon here. And so the enrollment's open and we'd love to have anybody partake if they're open and interested. Thanks everybody for tuning in and I will see you next week.